I don't know how it works for you, but I often find myself looking at license plates when I'm driving or when I'm riding. Uh, that's often what I find myself doing. It's interesting to me to see where people are from. And as you look at their license plates, it's interesting to see what states they're from. When Darcy and I were living in Colorado, our license plates were green and white. They were all green with white letters. So it was easy to tell uh, somebody from Colorado. You could just glance and, and see them. Uh, then we moved to Wyoming and you have the county number at the left-hand side, so you can tell what county they're from. And then you have the Wyoming Bucking Bronco in the middle, and then their license plate tag. So it's fun to look at them and say, hey, I know where Cheyenne County is. I, I, I've, been, I've been to Goshen County before. I know where that's at. So it was easy to see that and recognize that. When we first moved to Michigan, we had those blue license plates. Remember those? They were blue with white letters, and so you knew outsiders. It was easy to recognize an outsider when they came in. Uh, and us being at the southern side, we're the gatekeepers for the rest of Michigan. So it's kind of, we can kind of keep an eye on things a little bit easier. And I remember going to the driver's license place and getting my new, getting my new registration and paying for it. And she says, and do you have a white license plate? And I said, no, I have the blue one. And she says, oh, well, you'll need a white one. And I said, I don't, I don't want a white one. Every, all these states have white ones. I want to stay with the blue one. So I know because I'm the gatekeeper. I, I know. I want to I keep that blue. And she says, I'm sorry, but if you don't buy a white license plate, your plate will no longer be valid. You have to use this plate. And I said, but I just got this number memorized. And so when I go to a hotel and they ask me, I can recite it and I don't have to make six trips trying to remember all the letters. So I would really like to keep this. And she said, I appreciate your energy. I appreciate your enthusiasm. That's not quite, that's what I got from the translation. But she says, you have to use the white plate. And so I really wanted to go home and think about it and just see if, Maybe we should just live off the grid for a while, just be rebels and just see how it is. But I'd already waited in line for two and a half hours. So I went ahead and paid for the white license plate. And I, I didn't put it on right away, but I did get a white license plate. I was thinking about that this morning as we continue making our journey through 2 Corinthians. Uh, last week we started in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. And Paul started talking in chapter 3 about the new covenant. And he began comparing the new covenant with the old covenant. And here as we come to verses 7 through 11, we see this comparison still going on. Paul is still comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. And as Paul continues to bring out his point and continue to show the value and the importance of the new covenant, he begins and he argues his point here in this passage, moving from the lesser to the greater. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, and look at verse 7 there. It says this, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, 
In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Now, as we look at this passage, we're going to break it down in two ways. The first thing we see is the fading glory, and that's in verse 7. And then in verses 8 through 11, we see the increasing glory. Before we dive into this this morning, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Great God in heaven, we're thankful that you are the great God in heaven. And Lord, as we examine this surpassing glory this morning, I pray you'd open our minds and our hearts that we would understand what Paul is speaking about here. I pray you'd give us clarity of thought and clarity of mind as we listen to this. I pray, Lord, you'd give me clarity of thought and clarity of mind as I proclaim this. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear from you. So just take my mind and my heart and my tongue and, and Lord, allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. I pray we would hear nothing more, but I pray we would hear nothing less either, but just what you have for us. And it's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. Now, as we look at this this morning, the first thing we want to look at is the fading glory. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, now if the ministry of death. So Paul begins speaking about the ministry of death here. The old covenant is what is known as the ministry of death. But in the first six verses, Paul has just explained to us that the law kills this was verse 6 that we looked at last week. It says, Who's made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So Paul here says, speaking about the ministry of death, he's talking about the old covenant. And he's using that word picture that he just shared with us. He's using that word picture as we continue to move through this and compare the old covenant with the new covenant. The old covenant is this ministry of death. And the law simply points out for us what God's standard is. That is the purpose of the law, is to show us the holiness of God, shows us the requirements of God, and the law is what makes us aware of sin. This is Romans 7, verse 7. It says, what then should we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I remember one time we were driving home from church. It was a 45 minute drive for us when we were going to church. Uh, that's just part of living where we lived. But we would drive 45 minutes to church, and we had that big fancy yellow station wagon I tell you about all the time with the plywood on the sides. Yeah, I, I need to find a picture of that just so you guys could, could covet that we just read about, not coveting. Okay? But we were coming home in that, and we were heading down a hill, and I remember looking ahead, uh, looking out the front, and I can remember just seeing a state patrolman walk out in the middle of the road, and he was just pointing at my dad. And my dad knew to pull over. And so it was Officer Sitka, uh, that was his name. I, I met him on a couple of occasions. <laughs> but Officer Sitka shared with my dad, he said, the reason I stopped you was that you were speeding. 
And my dad said, I didn't know what the speed limit was through here. I haven't seen anything posted on this side. We've been driving that road for I don't know how many years, but that was what my dad said, is we didn't know. But you know, we have those speed limit signs and those are posted for us so we know what the speed limit is. Paul says the law is there for us so that we know where the violation occurs. That's what the law does. And as we think about that, the law, because of the law, it, it shows us where we have been wrong. And because it shows us where we're wrong, the law pronounces death. It slays the guilty sinner. It points out his guilt. They perish because they cannot carry out the conditions of the covenant. They cannot keep God's law. The world is still under God's covenant, God's old covenant. And they can't keep the covenant. They violate the law. And the law is there showing them their, their violations. The law itself is holy. The law itself is good. Uh, this is in Romans chapter 7, verse 12. And it says this, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem with man is not the law. The problem with man is we are sinners. We fall short of the law. We violate the law. When we break one law, we break them all. This is James 2, verse 10, and it says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of them all. That kind of seems strange as we think about that, but it, the law is kind of like a chain, and it's kept together by links. And when one link in the chain breaks, the whole chain is broke. That's the law. And if we violate it in one way, we violate the law. We've broken the law. And unfortunately, as we think about that, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all of us have violated the law. None of us is able to keep it. All of us violate the law. And then we look at the consequences in Romans 6.23, and it says the wages of sin is death. So because we are sinners, we break the law. Because we are lawbreakers, our payment for being a lawbreaker is death. That's the way it works. The wages of sin is death. That's how it works. That's the old covenant for us. Is we, the law is there. The law is that requirement. And that law is unmoving. That law cannot be broken. And that's the old covenant. And that's what Paul is speaking about as it being this, this ministry of death. Because the law pronounces death. If we violate the law, we're guilty of it. And death is the result. Now notice what he says in verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. This is a reference to Moses. This is a reference to Moses when he was given the law. Remember how Moses went up on Mount Sinai? Uh, and as he was there on Mount Sinai, uh, God came down. And, and God gave him the law. This is Exodus 34, 28. It says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The first time Moses went up there and followed God, God told him to bring two tablets 
And he brought those two tablets, and God wrote on those tablets with his finger. But then Moses went down, and the Israelites were, uh, were having a celebration, and, and Moses was upset at them, and he threw the stones, and they broke. And the next time God called Moses up to bring two tablets up, Moses had to write on them himself. But those are the tablets that he's referring to. And the Ten Commandments are a summary of God's moral law. And when that moral law is broken, death is the result. And that's what Paul is using this word picture, and he's laying this out for us. Now notice what it says as verse 7 continues. It came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses, at his face, because of its glory. Now, as you think about the giving of the law, it was no quiet thing. The giving of the law to Moses was not some behind-the-doors kind of event that took place and the tent door was closed and then Moses stepped out and went, ta-da, here it is. It didn't work that way. God told Moses to have the people of Israel be prepared and they couldn't go near the Mount of Sinai uh, as this was taking place and they had to consecrate themselves and be prepared because God was going to come down. Uh, and when God came down, it was with great glory. This is Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and there was lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. That's kind of an experience, isn't it? As they are there, this wasn't a behind-the-closed-door thing at all. This was something that they heard, that they recognized, and they trembled. It says, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Verse 20 says, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, I don't know about you, but as I hear that, I think about a measure of glory being associated with that. There was recognition of the importance of that moment. There was recognition and identification by everybody that this was a historic moment. This was a life-changing event here for the people of Israel. And as they looked at that, as they saw that, as they felt that, as they experienced that, they trembled. This was, this was no Saturday afternoon at the flea market. This was huge, a huge event with great glory here. And it says that as Moses came down, as he came down, his face, there was glory in his face. His face shone. And the people, as they looked at him, they couldn't look upon him. And so his face was veiled so that they couldn't see that because the glory was there in the face of Moses because he had been there in the presence of God. This was no small event. This was no small thing that took place. But notice the last part of verse 7. He says, Came down with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. 
which was being brought to an end. That covenant, with all of that pomp and circumstance that took place, that covenant was going to fade away. Even with all the glory it received, it would fade away. A new covenant would come, and this new covenant would replace the old covenant. In these few verses here that we've just looked at, in verse 7 here primarily, but Paul has summarized for us the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is the writer of Hebrews' argument showing that the old has passed away, that the new has come. That's the message of, of Hebrews. And so Paul is sharing that, and he's talking about how that glory, though as great as it was, it was a temporary glory. It was a glory that was fading away. It was a glory that God had for a purpose and for a time and for a season, but that season would come to an end. And that's the point that Paul is making here. Now, notice verse 8. We see him speaking not of the fading glory, but of the increasing glory. He says in verse 8, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, as we think about this, as we think about the ministry of the Spirit, this is a synonym for the ministry of the gospel. This is a synonym for, the, for this new covenant that's going to come. The old covenant was a ministry of death, but this new covenant is a ministry of the Spirit. When a person enters into the new covenant by grace through faith, the Holy Spirit indwells that person. And as we think about that, the Holy Spirit is the centerpiece of this new covenant. It says in verse 8, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, the glory of the old covenant we just saw, and Paul just mentioned to us that glory. And those who were there who, who were Jews and recognized the old covenant, they knew about that glory. It wasn't new to them. It's a refreshment to us, something we don't understand as Gentiles fully. But Paul explains it to them. And Paul says, even the glory of the Old Testament, this new covenant, the glory of this new covenant is going to be far greater. It is far greater. And Paul is taking going from the least to the greatest. Hey, that was really good, but not as much. This is really great with a whole lot more. That's, that's the basis of Paul's argument here. That's the point that he is, that he is making. Uh, as we think about the old covenant, we saw that take place on Mount Sinai with that. When the new covenant came, we didn't see the lightning and the thunder. But we saw angels come, and angels announced it. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. That's almost like a Christmas verse, isn't it? That sounds just like Christmas. But this is the new covenant being announced. An angel came to Joseph and said this in Matthew 1.20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The old covenant, a ministry unto death. This new covenant, a ministry unto life. Because Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty of the old covenant so that we could enter into the new covenant. By grace, through faith, we enter into this new covenant. And the Spirit comes and writes on the human heart. Not written on tablets, but written on the human heart. The Spirit is the one who causes us to be born again. He gives us gifts to serve in this new covenant. The Spirit helps us to grow in our relationship with God in this new covenant. This new covenant is far greater than the old covenant. Verse 9, he says, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Again, there was glory in the ministry of the old covenant. But the glory in this ministry of righteousness is far greater. It is far more glorious. This glory exceeds the glory of the old one. Under the old covenant, we never added up. A person never was good enough under the old covenant. And as a result of that old covenant and not being good enough, they're under condemnation. As a result of that, they're under condemnation. The new covenant provides for us what the old covenant could not provide. The new covenant provides for us righteousness. The old covenant just said, hey, you are wrong. This is where you're at. It didn't do anything to correct us. When I was in Bible school, I was working for this man, uh, and it was a windmill service, and I'd worked for him, and we would work on pumps and, and different stuff like that, and he would come up, and he would make sure that he pointed out when I was wrong. <laughs> you did that wrong. That's terrible. I don't know how you thought of that. Well, I don't know what you think, but that's wrong. So then I would look with attentive ears, being open and ready to receive correction, and he would walk away. So I knew it was wrong because he just pointed out that it was wrong, but I had to figure out how to make it right. Uh, I've been a windmill man for a good, I don't know, two days. So I'm having to figure out why, why it's wrong. So it was a beautiful thing. That's the old covenant. The old covenant points out where we're wrong. The old covenant shows us where we're wrong. The new covenant shows us where righteousness is at. The new covenant teaches us of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Christ came into this world, and because of the demands of the old covenant, because the wages of sin is death, Christ paid that penalty. He removed that debt for us. And as a result of that, it's a double imputation that takes place. 
Our sin was imputed to him. The price was paid. And as a result of that, his righteousness was imputed to us. So in Christ, we have a right standing with God. That's why this new covenant is far greater than the old covenant. Because now we stand in the new covenant and we stand in righteousness when we recognize Christ as Lord and as Savior. Verse 10, he just keeps adding to his point here. Look at verse 10. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. The old covenant was never intended to be permanent. It was intended to point us to Christ. The old covenant's glory has been surpassed. That old covenant was fantastic, but the new covenant far surpasses it. It surpassed it by a degree that the old covenant no longer has any glory at all. As a kid, I wasn't very smart. As a young adult, I wasn't very smart. And as an older adult, I'm still not very smart. But I can remember one night looking and seeing the moon and we were driving home from church. We're driving home from church and the moon just seemed to be following us. And it was one of those moons that was just ginormous. I mean, it was just set right on top of the mountains and it just looked like if you were on the mountain, you would touch the moon. Have you seen the moon like that? It's just that huge. And I can remember just looking at the moon and I mean, looking out in the field, you could see everything and uh, it was just lit up amazing. And, and I was pretty young. I don't know, maybe 17 or 18. But I'm just amazed by how bright everything was. Okay? And then I woke up the next morning, and I was getting ready for school. And I remember walking to school. And I remember looking up and seeing the moon on the west side. And it wasn't that bright. There was something else that was much brighter. The sun, as it was clearing over that same mountain range, couldn't even look at it. It was so bright. And you know, we couldn't see any shadows from the moon. The the moon was no longer doing what it once had done. It was now the sun that was shining brightly, that was illuminating everything much brighter than the moon did. The moon was bright, but the sun was that much brighter. And this is what Paul is telling us. This new covenant is far greater. This new covenant is far brighter. There's far more, much more glory in this new covenant. The old covenant, in fact, because of this new covenant, the old covenant has become obsolete. This is Hebrews 8.13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, this new covenant, this new covenant is a permanent covenant. This new covenant has permanent glory. Look at verse 11. It says, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The old covenant was not a final solution. The new covenant is the final solution. It is permanent. 
the gospel message of salvation by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone is the new covenant. Salvation only comes to us through Christ. And that is this new covenant. And as a result, eternal redemption is possible. It's only possible through Jesus Christ. Under the old covenant, they would offer sacrifices, and those blood sacrifices would only be a temporary covering of sin. Under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ removes our sin. What was temporary under the old covenant is permanent under the new covenant. And we have that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is Hebrews 9, verse 12. It says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. You see, Jesus Christ didn't have to go to the cross and die daily on a daily basis. He didn't have to die a couple of times each day, a morning and night sacrifice. He didn't have to come and just die once a year to take care of the sins for the year. Christ came one time, one time, and he died a perfect, he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death. And because of that, because of him being our perfect sacrifice, our redemption is eternal. But what we need to do is turn away from that old covenant, that old covenant of works, because that old covenant just led to death. And we need to turn to Jesus Christ. And we need to receive that gift that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. We need to desire to enter into this new covenant. And the only way we can do that is through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. This is Hebrews 9.15. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You see how it's a summary of Hebrews? Christ is our mediator. A mediator is some, someone who goes between two parties and he intercedes between those two parties. When one party, party talks, they talk to the mediator, the mediator comes to the other party. The other party talks to the mediator. The mediator goes to the other party. Jesus Christ came, gave his life, and he is now our mediator. That means he represents us to God, but he also represents God to us. He reveals God to us. That's what he does. And how, that's how we enter into this new covenant. It's not because we're good looking, we've done our hair right, any of those things. It's because of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross one time enables us to come and to have that relationship with God. The old covenant is fading away. It has faded away because the new covenant is come. And the only way we can enter into that new covenant is through Jesus Christ. We are born into this world trapped under the old covenant. We have to do works of perfection to receive a right standing with God. And we cannot do it. We fail. We fail, we fail, we fail. But Jesus Christ came and died, gave his life for us so that we could have that relationship with God the Father, 
so that we can be taken out from underneath the penalty and the wages of sin and be placed in the presence of God himself. That's what we have in the new covenant. So there you have it, the fading glory and the increasing glory. What do we take home from this? What do we apply to our own lives? I think the first thing that we need to ask ourselves is what have we done with Jesus Christ? What have we done with Jesus Christ? Salvation is all about grace. And it's all about grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not faith in faith or faith in faith, but it's faith in Christ. That's, that's the only way. And there's nothing that we do that makes us deserve to have that opportunity to have faith in Christ. It's the grace of God. The grace of God gives us an opportunity to place our faith in Christ. That's, that's all it is. And it is a far better way. It is a far better way. I don't know where you are in your journey through life. I don't know what you've done with Jesus Christ. Maybe this thought of, of Christ is, is just something that you keep putting away. I remember visiting with somebody one time and I asked them where they were with Christ and, and uh, they shared with me, well, I really try, I really work at, at being a good person. And if I could, if, you know, I just, I just feel like as I keep working and I, and I shared with them just from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that it's, that it's by faith, that it's not by our own works that no one can boast. It's, it's by faith in Christ. And his comment was, well, I feel that if I can be good enough, then I can ask Christ to save me. And I said, you will never be good enough. I said, take it from me. You'll never be good enough. You can try, but you're just like a, like a mouse in a squirrel cage, just running in circles. You'll never be good enough. What you've got to do is stop working. And you've got to recognize that it's through Christ and Christ alone. And turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and that's been you. You've just been running in circles like the, like the squirrel in the cage. You'll never be good enough. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way that we can enter into this new covenant because that was God's plan for us. The old covenant was never intended to save us. The new covenant in Jesus Christ is where we're saved. And so I want to challenge you today and I want to double dog dare you to think about that, to consider what you've done with Jesus Christ. I think there's another thought in this that's so amazing too and it's a real, it's, I can't say I really appreciate it, but it's a great reminder for me too, is that we are saved by grace and we are kept by grace. We're saved by faith. Through, we're saved by grace through faith. That's the only way we get into the club. But it's only by grace that we get to stay. Because if it was up to us and our good works, Isaiah tells us that our good works are but a filthy garment to the nostrils of God. We can't do it. We can't stay saved. We can't be good enough to stay saved. By grace we're saved through faith. By grace we're kept saved through faith. That's it. There's no other way. 
It's only in Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus Christ.